1 Corinthians chapter 2. I am getting back in the podcast business. Of course, these go out on it, but as far as the shorter, generally five to eight minute periods, I this morning was up early and the Lord gave me an eight different outlines for the next about eight podcasts. And uh, they're mostly done, uh, but i to add a little more to them. But here's the thought. And these eight that will be coming, and uh, it will be about Mordecai. The book of Esther, of course we just came through finishing the book of Esther. And um, captured my attention as we were going through, especially the last couple of chapters here we just did. And uh, the little series I'm going to do is A Great Man Unaffected by Greatness. Very unusual. Very unusual thing about Mordecai. And it's quite a study. Unusual man in history. And uh, he... Uh, Continued and kept growing in greatness, but it did not corrupt him as it so often does. And there's some reasons for that, which are revealed in the Word of God. And so I look forward to uh, to uh, you hearing that and letting you know. I'm uncertain yet whether the first one will publish Tuesday or Thursday, but it'll be one of those two, and it'll publish it out in the morning with that. But once it starts, we'll have eight of those, and we'll do two a week uh, going in with that. Or that's that's the plan with it. First Corinthians chapter two. Tonight we're going to continue a series for which I've been planning and studying for some time. I am still planning and studying going forward to be ahead of, of where we are with it. The series is Corinthians. Again, isn't that creative? Corinthians and Bible Truths for Today. That's the series name. And uh, we began it Wednesday, which if you didn't get to hear that, I encourage you to listen to it on one of the platforms available for that. Uh, but we did Wednesday evening with the message, meeting the Corinthians, meeting ourselves. Meeting the Corinthians, meeting ourselves. And, and you'll find that to be helpful for understanding. Tonight's message is the second in the series. series and uh, the title of it is The Message for Corinth. The Message for Corinth. And an appropriate and fitting subtitle is A Faith That Will Stand. The Message for Corinth. So we, on Wednesday, had Meeting the Corinthians. Who were these people? What was the church like? What were some things with it? And then tonight, uh, of course, on that message on Wednesday, we found out we were meeting ourselves in so many areas. But then tonight's message is this: uh, the message for the Corinthians. It's encapsulated in chapter 2. And then subtitle, as you'll see, comes from verse 5 of this chapter, and it's called A Faith That Will Stand. If you're in the habit of marking your Bibles, be prepared to do so. And we're going to go through. I'm going to read aloud, ask you to follow along carefully in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And by the way, it's a little stormy. You can hear it going on. If by any chance something rolls in and, and we lose our electricity, we will not have lost our power. Okay. And by the way, that's not God's obvious will for you to take a nap. <laughs> and so... Uh, we'll, just, we'll just keep on going with that. Everybody, if it happens, everybody go, ah, all at once and get it over with, and then, and then we'll be all right. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of spirit, of the spirit, and of power. Verse 5 is a good thing for you to underline. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Central theme for all of Corinthians. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. But 
God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Did you think about that for a minute? The things which are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And so, uh, tonight when we look at this thing about the uh, faith which will stand, the message for the Corinthians, I want you to think about this chapter and what we just read. Let's pray together and let's ask for God's guidance in this. Father, help me as I preach, not only to be the preacher up here tonight and speaking, but I also want to be a receiver of Your Word and the help that You have from it. I ask You, Lord, to uh, strengthen my inner man with Your Word even as I preach it and have the privilege of uh, speaking to Your people from it. I pray You will give us guidance throughout it and ears to hear. I ask in Christ's name. Amen. I believe it's abundantly obvious from the chapter that Paul made a very purposeful decision not to take a philosophical approach to bringing the Gospel to the Corinthians. He didn't speak as if he were speaking of a speculative or academic matter. He knew from the revelation of the Lord that doing so, talking in a philosophical way, approaching it that way, that would not produce a faith that would stand. Um, some people with a little knowledge and discernment of things understand that we as American Christians um, may well be facing things in the near future, very near future, if some had their design, that uh, many generations have not faced in our country. I, will say, I won't say no generations have faced it because even as back early times of uh, the colonies when they were first forming statehood, there were state churches in eight of those, church, in eight of those states. In fact, the reason we have the Bill of Rights we have the First Amendment of the Constitution is directly related to the Baptist churches in Virginia. And the Bill of Rights is directly related for a Baptist pastor who was instrumental in putting that in. And so that freedom that we have in these areas is, originates in Bible-believing people. Maryland wasn't Maryland. We call it Maryland. What is it written? If you read it, what is it called? Maryland. There was a reason for that. And many of the things that those, uh, that many who had come to this country early on to escape, namely state churches and persecution over religion, they had come to have a place where we, a man could worship according to the freedom of the conscience. Uh, many of those things were suppressed, and, and there were people uh, that were, were actively prosecuted and persecuted for the religious beliefs in our country in its very early stages. And as it was coming through, the process of what we now know as our Constitution and what is now a target of people who have no regard for our Constitution, who have a disdain for the Word of God, who can't even tell the difference between male and female and think you can transition between. I mean, if you're so messed up you don't know that, I really don't trust your discernment on anything. So we may face some things. And we need to have a faith that will stand. May I say something to you? And I hope you'll catch it. I believe there's something more insidious, more pernicious to your faith than those overt things that may come. Someone comes at you and tells you you need to renounce your faith, comes at you very flagrantly. It's very easy at that point to discern and say, this is, you know, that's not something we're going to do. 
and your boldness may rise to the occasion. But I'll tell you what's more damaging, which is more insidious, which if you hear in that the hiss of the snake, that gives you a good idea what that word insidious involves, um, is uh, the, the uh, cloaked uh, religion, a lot of it, nothing but Eastern mysticism, that tries to pass itself off as Christianity. It tries to pass off a big rock and roll show as a worship service to the living God. That uses the name Jesus. That talks about knowing God and walking with God, but has no respect for the Bible and for what it teaches. But rather points people to an experiential religion rather than one based on faith, which has to be based on the Word of God. And then you add to that the sensuality and the embracing of churches and people within churches of every kind of sinful behavior there is, and you have a recipe for disaster when it comes to true biblical faith. Biblical faith does not depend on us. But I sincerely hope it rests in us. Because I promise you, church, I promise you, if we don't rise to the occasion of walking with our Lord, God will find people who will. And so, with the Corinth, Paul didn't take a philosophical approach to bringing the Gospel to the Corinthians. One of the more ignorant statements I ever had made to me, and certainly I've had a truckload of them come at me at different times, um, was a uh, fellow who was working and helping train preachers and such. And um, he had heard me speak a little bit and, and do some different things. And he said, I think you'll do well as a preacher. And I thought, well, I appreciate that vote of confidence as a college student at the time. And I was preaching a lot as a college student. I've preached. I didn't, pre- <laughs> I didn't start preaching because I got in the pastor. I started preaching because I was called to preach. My wife would tell you as a teenager, I just preached every chance, even chances I shouldn't have had. Like one revival, the guy was giving me an invitation. It just didn't seem like the service should end. I just started walking towards the platform. He got out of the way, and I got up to the pulpit and extended the invitation. I mean, it's weird. I, I was dangerous to be around. But the... Uh, he said to me, he said, I think you'll do all right. He said, you, he said, you can take a simple concept, he says, and make it sound very profound and very complex. Two things with that, I thought, that's about the dumbest thing I've ever heard about preaching. What you're supposed to do is take the truth and make it understandable and clear and then I thought about it. I thought, I need to work on some stuff, man. That's what he thinks about me. I've got something messed up backwards here. Preaching isn't the philosophical approach. It isn't an academic exercise. And Paul didn't approach him that way. He said, why is that important? Why are you taking time with that preacher? Because they're at Corinth. That's what they did. Remember what we told you about the city of Corinth? Highly exalted for its intellectual attainments. But when Paul came to that society and that culture, he said, he said that he came preaching the Word of God. It was very clear and plain about it. Isn't it interesting? One of the uh, stated, and this name won't mean much to, to many of you, but there was a magazine called Christianity Today that it did have a very large circulation and it had some influence with different places. And... Uh, one of the stated goals from the people who began it was to be able to, uh, they said, to be able to engage the culture on an intellectual basis. Now, for, don't think for one minute I've been up here promoting ignorance. Because I'm not. And honestly, I, I've heard preaching where they do. They were just happy how dumb they were. And that doesn't honor God either. You know... God's made donkeys. You don't need to be one. You have neither the ears nor the... Anyway. Um, but the problem and why so much came in through Wheaton College, different ones like that, and they went off into modernism and liberalism was because of that very approach. It was a philosophical approach to things. And what it does is, 
it takes away just a belief and a foundational belief in the Word of God as it is written. Hear me well, Christians. Don't ever feel like, don't ever believe for a second that somehow by just quoting Scripture that you are not uh, up to the challenge of speaking to someone. Sometimes people feel intimidated because someone else academic level, someone else's, uh, maybe even their intellectual level, maybe their, their uh, opportunities they've had are beyond what the Christians is, but that's a mistake. The Word of God is more powerful than any philosophy that's ever come along. It's what we need. And uh, so Paul decided not to take a philosophical approach. He knew from the revelation of the Lord that doing so would not produce a faith which would stand. Paul avoided debate and unnecessary striving and stayed with the plain fundamental of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Look in verse 4. He said, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. He wasn't depending on the oratorical abilities he wasn't trying to wow the crowd. He was trying to get the Word of God out to him in the basic native power of what the Word of God is. The power of God unto salvation. He, the purpose behind it all is put forth clearly in verse 5. Here's why he did it that way. Why did he come in the way he did? Not with enticing words of man's wisdom. Why? Verse 5, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In other words, not this person had a clever argument. Oh, I wish you could just hear how so-and-so puts it out. And, well, I'll tell you what, I just follow this man and what he says. But instead, that their faith would stand in the Word of God itself, in the power of God, and they would be grounded in, in God. And that, that was vital if they were going to stand um, with, with what was going on there. Uh, look back in the previous chapter we looked at. I've got mine covered here a little bit. Look back in, verse, in chapter 1 and look in verse uh, 29 and 31 there. I didn't have that covered. It says, here's the state of purpose. Remember when we came to the end of uh, meeting the Corinthians, meeting ourselves on Wednesday? Verse 29, that no flesh should glory in His presence. If you were here on Wednesday, I asked everyone gathered... I said, you know, that's not just talking about heaven. Are you in the presence of God now? Does God see you now? Well, verse 29 of chapter 1 says that no flesh should glory in His presence. Why was Paul preaching not with enticing men, uh, words of man's wisdom? Why? So that no flesh would glory in the presence of God. Then in verse 31, it reinforces that, that according as it is written... He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. I've told you before, one indicator of when you're talking to somebody, whether you're just talking to somebody who's trusting their own righteousness or perhaps their religious attainments, or if they're actually trusting the Lord, it reveals in their language a lot of times. When you're talking to somebody who's just trusting in the religion, they'll tell you about some religious thing they did. Well, I've been baptized. Well, I've been in church all my life. Well, I did this. I did that. They may tell you about sacraments they took. That sort of thing. That's not the language of someone who's, who's trusted the Lord. You said, could somebody who's gotten saved talk that way? They could because of the religious training that messed them up. But that's not the natural speech of someone who actually knows the Lord. Or here, here's what they'll say. Uh, I've always had great faith. I just have great faith in God. And, I've always just believed God. In fact, I've had people talk to me and comment to me what great faith I have. That's what God said to me. Well, that was a humble statement, wasn't it? But you tell you the language of the child of God. Here it is. You ready for it? It's like this. God's been mighty merciful to me. Let me tell you what a great thing Christ did for me. Let me tell you how good the Lord is. Why? Because that's the language of someone that's glorying in the Lord. And so you have that. Consider the pressure on someone in Corinth to conform. The whole society, there's a 500 foot tall 
rocky eminence outside of Corinth. Acrocorinth. It's like the Acropolis in, in, in Athens. It's acro means a height or a heightened area. And the Acrocorinth, 500 foot eminence. That's big. Does anybody know the true height of the standing stone out here of, of Mount Pleasant? Do you know? Good? Right at 300 feet. So I had a couple hundred more feet to it and it ran the length of the city. That's something you're going to take note of. And up on top of that was a shrine and a statue to a filthy deity. A devil. Which is what the false gods are. Named Aphrodite. Also known as Astarte. A goddess of fertility and promiscuity who the very worship of it involved unspeakably lewd acts of the flesh. Corinth, between the two, it had three ports, but the two major ports on either side and then the road that transversed it from the main part of Greece to the Peloponnesus down below it, put it at this crossroads, people came to Corinth for the fleshly things that were available there. It was known for that. It was Sin City. And these people were coming out of it. And there were a lot of religions and a lot of very devout people, and I say that in the sense of devoted to whatever the religion was. So can you imagine the continual pressure to conform? The continual can you imagine when a lady truly got born again, started learning the scripture, and found out that a lady is supposed to wear modest apparel? She's not supposed to be showing her body off. That means the apparel is not to be clinging to her. That means she's not supposed to have, this was a fashion of the day, a slit running up here so your thighs are playing peekaboo with people when you walk. That she's not supposed to have a low top in here also revealing herself. Because as a Christian woman, what she started understanding is that she's very precious in the eyes of God. And that her particular beauty is for her husband alone. And that she is not to flaunt or put herself out there as, as someone would that did not have a sense that their body is the temple of the Holy Ghost and that they are supposed to keep themselves and do what's right. Can you imagine a lady, she started to dress like that. Can you imagine what kind of attention and pressure? Yes? Any of you ladies here who dress that way and have chosen to live modestly, you know what that's like because you live in a country that the pressure let me just say something as a man, because that's the only way I can, because that's what I am. <laughs> what is it with the females that they think they have a right to comment on each other's what they wear? In other words, some woman who doesn't want anybody to judge her for the way she wonders why you wear that all the time, why you wear a dress, why you wear a skirt, why are you mouse, why don't you do this? How come you don't do this? At the same time, that, that she'll turn right around and don't judge me. You know why? She thinks she's judged you to yourself. She's going to be <laughs> But there's a pressure to it. Just to do right. You say, well, what are they going to do? Well, your faith's not going to stand if it's built on just the wisdom of men. Because here's the thing that will happen. If it's just built on the wisdom of men, you're going to find somebody who's not a believer who can out-wisdom you in the wisdom of men. Yeah, true. I remember being under the strange illusion that I might have some degree of intellectual prowess when I was in high school. You know, by the same reason that probably if I was you know, running a race against people who were all in walkers, I could win. Our high school was not exactly the <laughs> center of intellectual attainment in the universe. See, that mean run anybody smart there? No, but it was not a it was not a thing that was <laughs> my wife's just going to do. It wasn't that. 
you know, like I've told you, this will give you the example, and this was athletics with our football team. When your cheerleaders, our, our, our name of our school is Preble Shawnee High School, and your cheerleaders, instead of going, we are Shawnee, see that? I know that. See how fast I learn things? The cheerleaders during the game are going, we are Shawnee. Not a good sign. That's what they were doing. And they were right. <laughs> but then what happened? I got out into the wider world. I got to meet, meet people who, intellectually speaking, have gears in their transmission. My, my model doesn't even come with. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah. If your faith and if my faith stands in the wisdom of men, as soon as it gets around someone who is either better presenting their argument or more persistently persuasive in the way they do things or just quick in their mind and, and can trip you up, your faith will be in trouble. Even if it's genuine faith in Christ, but it's standing is found in the wisdom of men, One way you can tell if you're heading towards that is if you if you know more about what you believe about your Bible from books about the Bible than the Bible itself. Beware of that. But if your faith stands in the Word of God, Though it will be assailed at times, though just the vicissitudes of life, just the things that come and the variable things that we have happen, the ups and downs of life may try your faith. You'll go back to the foundation and the basics of here's what God said. And during times of loneliness, the verses you put inside you will echo in your soul. Strengthen. They'll be like finding fresh water in a desert place. They'll nourish you. That your faith would not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. God has enough power. As I preached to you this morning, I'm saved because He lives. That's why. Because Christ lives, I live also. It's dependent on the power of God. Paul, of all people, was eminently qualified to approach matters from a learned and philosophical angle. Look with me in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Paul was, as a person, if anybody could have taken a philosophical approach, he was geared for it. Philippians chapter 3 and look in verse 3. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews. Generally meaning that that lineage came down unbroken on mother and father's side. A Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Now that's a mouthful. Especially to say it in a public setting where you could be contradicted by those who know you if it wasn't so. What's that next verse say? What do you, what do you think about all that? Those things which are gained unto me? Is that the next verse? 
counted as what? Loss. And so what happens is, he made the statement there, he said, I want you to understand something. He said, if I... If anybody's going to trust in the attainments, he said, I have the ability to do that. But yet when he came to Corinth, a city steeped in, uh, in all the, the worldliness, the fleshliness, the fornication, the lewdness of that time, the wickedness that went on there, he came and he did not resort back and say, oh, these are Greek people. And by the way, the Greeks were the one who received him more than the Jews did in that town. That's where this ministry to the Gentiles really took off. He didn't say, oh, they're Greeks. They have the, they, they have the Hellenistic uh, uh, teaching and they have all of this history and that's what they do. So I'll do that. No, he preached Christ and him crucified. He used his attainments to become simple in Christ. Look in Acts chapter 22 and I continue the theme here of the fact that if anybody had the opportunity to try to use man's wisdom, it was Paul. Acts 22. There had been a riot and people were trying to kill Paul. <laughs> and uh, he was come and taken from the midst of the people before they could kill him. And he saw this big old crowd of people. <laughs> he figured out a way to try to preach to them. I love that. I really did. And uh, Acts 22, though, I want you to look at it in verse 1. He's addressing this large crowd. He says, Men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense which I make now unto you. Pay attention to this. And when they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them. So he's speaking to the crowd. They kept the more silence. And he saith, I am verily a man, which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God as ye all are this day. Gamaliel is mentioned in Acts 5 verse 34 and it says that he is a doctor of the law and had in reputation among all the people. He was one of the coveted after tutors to teach any young Hebrew boy coming up the matters of following God and what the matters of the law of God were. And Paul says, I came up at the feet of Gamaliel. He had personal tutelage of one of the prized teachers of his day. Notice what language did he speak to the, the crowd in there? That's because he's speaking to Jews. Now, he used his wisdom. That's what I'm trying to make you understand. Do not think for a second. You listen to me. and Let these words sink in. Because some of you young men, Lord, may get a hold of for preaching. If you're called to preach, you're called to study. And if you're not going to study, and if you're not going to immerse yourself in the Word of God, then you stay out of it. We've got enough harebrained, half-witted people running around, espousing out, not knowing what they say or whereof they affirm, and damaging entire congregations. The call to preach is a call to prepare. The call to preach is a call to study. And it doesn't end, oh, well, I'd be willing to go to Bible college. What are you talking about? That's just the beginning. I study more than I ever did in college. And I'm awake during it too now, which is the difference. Look in chapter 21. Paul Harvey moment there. Look in verse 37 of chapter 21. And as Paul was to be led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, May I speak unto thee? Who said, Canst thou speak Greek? Paul is talking to the chief captain in Greek. He turns around and addresses the crowd in Hebrew. In Corinthians, when he says, I speak in tongues more than y'all, we'll get to that in our Corinthians study. He's not talking about this stuff that the charismatics try to put on people. Paul knew a lot of languages. We don't know how many for sure. He had a multiplicity of languages. And so what happened is, when he's speaking to him, he speaks in Greek, turns around speaks to the 
the Jews and speaks in Hebrew. May I say to you, this man, trained in the way he was, brought up with the privilege he had, with the capacity obviously to learn that he had, when he came to the center of learning, he didn't come in as some kind of ignorant buffoon, but he came in clearly preaching Christ and Him crucified. If we could get the biblical balance of this. Look what he did. I'm back in our text in 1 Corinthians 2. Look what he did in, in chapter 2 and verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, this, he said, when I got to Corinth, remember he came from Athens to Corinth, he said, My brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. Very important. Why is he declaring to the testimony of God? Because of what verse 5 says. So that your faith would, should, stand, should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. What is declaring the testimony of God? It's preaching and teaching which has this approach. You ready for it? Here's what God says. This is the application to our daily living. And now it's your responsibility to do something with it. Declare it. It's not, brethren, I want to get up here today and speak to you about things spiritual. And I hope that you'll follow me as I try to guide your mind to one of many ways in which we could view our great Creator God. It seems that there is on the subject in which I will speak today Many in divergent opinions and none without its due quality. I will, in the course of today's speaking, attempt to show you some of the different ideas so that you may, in a broad-minded and open-hearted way, decide for yourself which path may be correct. Did you just throw up? I'm ready to. If I ever start losing my mind, start doing that for real, be nice to me. I've been nice to you for a long time. Feed me, but put me where I can't hurt people, please. Um, some of you just think it's funny hearing me say that. Some of you have a kind of wry grin because you've been around stuff that very much has that flavor to it. It's disgusting. It's like trying to eat cold gravy. That's not declaring the testimony of God. Now those who declare the testimony of God may do it in a very excitable fashion. They may be a brother Larry Brown from Iowa who's about that tall and I have seen him jump while he's preaching. It's hoppy. I guess it makes him hoppy to preach. I've seen him come straight up flat-footed, land on a pulpit this size on each side and keep preaching from on top of the pulpit. And when I saw him do that, he was, he was about my age. You say, you going to do that? Uh-uh. That'll end badly. First of all, I don't think I can get that. I have like a three-inch vertical. And this thing is on little slidey things now, so I'd end up down there with you all. <laughs> Some men are very matter-of-fact. Brother Lee Robertson was that way. Now let me tell you, have faith in God. We need to have faith in God. Uh, we need to believe God's Word, and he would just that's the way he would talk all the way through it. Some men are, are very uh, uh, beautiful in the way they can put the words together. It's natural for them. They have a natural form of eloquence. Other fellows uh, don't so much. They kind of maybe stutter a little bit as they talk and that sort of thing. But you know what they're doing? They're all getting up, taking the Bible, and saying this is what God said. This is, is, this is that for which we're responsible. Declaring the testimony of God. Hey, that's what you're doing when you're witnessing to people. Here's what God did. Here's who Jesus is. Here's why He came. And we declare the testimony of God. It's God's testimony. We are sent to talk about it and tell people about it. Plain, direct. It's understandable. And it will help grow us to maturity in a faith that will stand. And Paul, as in all who are true to the help, the cause of Christ and and our ministering health to the body of Christ, His clear declaring was coupled with consistent living. Look in verse 4. Uh, two different things I wrote down on this, and I believe the second one follows the pattern of it with the Scripture. He said, My speech and my preaching. 
was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. First thought I wrote down, because I'll write down things and look on them and try to understand how they fit in the Scripture. When I wrote that down as a question for myself, when I first started putting the study together from which I'm preaching now, I, I wrote that down, my speech and my preaching, I said, is that speech the content and preaching the delivery maybe? Or vice versa? Uh, that doesn't match exactly. I, I don't know it's completely wrong, but don't know. And then I had these thoughts, and this bears out what I see in the rest of the Scripture. My speech and my preaching dealing with his personal and his public. He's not repeating himself there. He isn't saying the same thing again. They may overlap, but he says my speech and my preaching. And I really believe, from what I understand from the rest of what I've studied in Corinthians, I really believe he's talking about his personal speech and interaction with people and how that coupled with what his preaching was. And he said in both aspects, it was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. He wasn't trying to impress people one-on-one and he wasn't trying to wow them from the pulpit. He was consistently being before them the kind of testimony that would be, uh, would be declaring the testimony of God. Um, look in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and this, this bears this out. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter three. And by the way, if you ever think about preaching, you better get to know these books. First, Second Timothy and Titus. It tells you what you're supposed to do, what you're supposed to be as a preacher, and you need to know that going in. Because I promise you, you're going to come across people who want to tell you what your job is and what you're supposed to be doing. And you better have it from God what you are before you get there. And uh, God delivers from pa- uh, congregation-led pastors. Second Timothy chapter three. And look at this thing in verse 10. Look what he said to Timothy, his son in the faith and this preacher who he trained. He said, but thou hast fully known, watch it, my doctrine. Then what's the next thing? Manner of life. Purpose. What was this all about? What was he doing for? Faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came to me at Antioch, or Iconium, or Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. And he goes on, teaches about persecutions there. But I want you to notice, he said, you've known my doctrine, you know my preaching, my teaching, and you've also known my manner of life. And I believe that's what he's talking about when he said my speech and my preaching we're not according to enticing words of man's wisdom. It comes into effect with that. Look back to 1 Timothy chapter 4. I found this thought substantiated throughout the Scripture. When he's telling Timothy how he's supposed to conduct himself with the believers, and he would send Timothy to work with the churches and, 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 and uh, have leadership in them, here's what he said. 1, 1 Timothy 4 and uh, verse 12. He said, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou, and what? Example of the believers. In word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. By the way, that next verse, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. And so what happens, both of these passages and others which follow that same light, he said, he said to him, he said, you knew my preaching and what I was teaching you. But you also knew my manner of life. And those two things went together. Then he, he told Timothy prior to that, he had said to Timothy, he said, let no man despise your youth. In other words, Timothy, you're a young man. And uh, you're going to be younger than some of the people you're leading. And you're going to be younger than, 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 than some you are, you are going to be uh, acting as a pastor to. I was 27 the day I took the pastor here. I turned 28 a week later. And, and so very young. Looked younger than that at that time. And so very young. And we had uh, people in this church uh, quite a bit older than me. And there's this young man. Well, the only thing you can offer with that is to walk with God and give the Word of God out. 
Seek wisdom from God. And he said, Don't let, let no man despise thy youth. In other words, don't let them be able to rightfully say or count you as little or nothing because you're young. And he said, The way that you keep them from doing that is you be an example. And he names these things. And so, what happened among the Corinthians? What was their faith to stand in? It's not to stand in the enticing words of man's wisdom, but it is to stand in the power of God, the power of the resurrection, the power that God had giving his word and preserving his word and giving us that word today. And then in 1 Timothy 4, verse 12, again, notice when he said that to him, he said, Let no man despise thy youth, be thou an example. What's he doing? He is talking about the importance of passing it on to another generation. Listen, I mentioned Brother Robertson earlier, but I heard him making an amazing statement. And I guess it was something he made on a reasonably regular basis. Um, but he would talk to people about having a biblical standard of conduct and such in their life. And he'd make this statement, and it's a good statement. First heard it, I thought, huh? And then I listened, I thought, that makes sense. He said, listen, listen, some of you, you don't have any Bible standard in your life, you don't know what to do. He said, borrow mine until you get yours. So why is that a good statement? He, what were you saying to him? And he explained it one other time. He said, it'll keep you safe while you're growing, while you're learning. And, and there's a great deal of wisdom in that. But wait a minute. What if our next generation coming up, what if the only thing they know is because that's the way our church does it? Now, I'm always careful with this because you have to watch, especially if there gets to be a smart alecky one about it around you. And your kids always watch, your adults watch too, by the way. For somebody slip around, well, you know, I know the pastor's pretty good, but he doesn't know everything. Look, when somebody says to you, the pastor doesn't know anything, they're, they're trying to cause trouble. That he doesn't know everything. They're trying to cause trouble. They say to you, well, the pastor's not God, you know. They're trying to cause trouble. You say, why is that? Because what doofus doesn't know both those things? I mean, seriously, it's not a legitimate statement. Well, you know, the pastor means well, but he doesn't know everything. And the next statement they're going to make is something that's going to hurt you. And if they were in sincerity trying to talk to you about something, they wouldn't have to preface it with that kind of a slick satanic statement. Now, preacher, you think you know everything? Are you kidding me? That's the whole point. That spirit's not fostered here. And you all are capable people of capable thinking too well to put up with it if it was. So I'm careful because sometimes it's so smart looking thing that comes in and here's what people do. Well, here's how they mess it up. They say, well, I have to find out what I believe on my own. So they set aside everything to be taught. I can't accept that because I'm being taught it. I have to know it for my own. But what happens, it becomes a critical spirit. What they, when it comes down to, I've got a very simple way of putting it, they try to reinvent what faith in Christ is. Deadly. That's not it. What it means is that you young folks learn what that Bible's about and be willing to be taught and you learn and you study it and you find out about the faith once delivered to the saints. It hasn't changed. It's not going to change for anybody, any culture, any time period. And so, the next generation is going to be dependent. If the next generation is dependent on the wisdom of man, if that's where their faith stands, then when the next slick leader comes in, they're going to go wherever it goes. That's why you have whole congregations taking off and abandoning what they believe biblically and taking these radical shifts. How'd they do that? They weren't grounded here. So Paul 
by the Spirit of God, he comes with the message for the Corinthians. What message to this kind of society? What message to these people? And we're going to see this played out in the chapters to follow. He comes with the simple message. And here it is. I came not to you with enticing words of man's wisdom. But why did He come? He came so that their faith would stand in the power of God. Where does your faith stand? Where does it stand? What's, what's its foundation? What's it based on? What's the bottom line of it? May it always be the Word of God. Because if it stands there, it will stand. And will stand when the storms come. Let me pray with you. Father, thank You for Your people tonight. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for giving us a faith that will stand. And uh, we often feel our own weakness, Lord, and I do. But underneath are the everlasting arms and I feel the strength that You abide. Thank You for who You are. God, help us to be a people who love You through Your Word and trust Your Word. And uh, Lord, look to it for all that we need. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Need to come this evening. God's touched your heart about something. Maybe you want to just give your heart over to Him to learn His Word. Why don't you come as our music begins to play? Join those who are here. I am committed to a biblical ministry. Which means at times I'm going to annoy both Pharisees and Sadducees. The Bible is to guide us.